in school and then fresh out of school, I was so panicked about getting a job. And I had put so much pressure on myself for that. And I think that actually was extreme downfall for my mental side because I was just not practicing well. And I was just constantly thinking about the next thing, the next thing, instead of trying to like enjoy the process that I'm in. This is Max Q, the podcast by Peabody's Launchpad office dedicated to demystifying what life is like after graduation. Every episode, we sit down with a recent Peabody alumni to get their take on what life is like for working artists in today's world. Multifaceted careers, time management, finances, finding balance between your work and your life. We explore that and more on the Max Q podcast. Hi, everyone. My name is Christina Mansior. In this interview, I'll be speaking with Lily Josephsberg, who plays piccolo for the San Diego Symphony. She graduated from Peabody in 2018 with her master's degree in piccolo performance. And in the interview, we talk about what life looks like for orchestra musicians, how to approach the orchestral audition process, and ways that Lily's experiences in and out of school have impacted where she is today. Hey, Lily, thank you so much for joining us today. We're really excited to have you on the podcast. Um, If you could start off by telling us a little bit about what your life looks like right now, that would be awesome. Hi, um, thanks for having me. I'm excited to talk to you. Um, So yeah, I graduated Peabody in 2018. um, And right now I am playing piccolo and third flute with San Diego Symphony. And I started in May of this past year, 2022. Could you tell me more about um, what your journey in the symphony so far has looked like? What are the kinds of um, the things that the organization's doing? What's the role that, that you play within your section? And um, how is this, how's this symphony maybe similar or different to other symphonies that you've played with before? So, Since starting in May, we basically have weekly concerts, um, usually two or three concerts a week, and we rehearse maybe four or five times before the concerts. Um, We do um, kind of split between a lot of pop shows over the summer, and right now we're in the middle of a lot of classical works, and we also do operas and um, outreach concerts that we haven't started that yet, I think because of COVID, but, um, soon we'll be bringing back up, um, outreach for kids concerts and community, uh, engagement kinds of concerts. Um, so, I mean, basically my job is to come prepared with the music every week. And I have a section leader who's our principal flute. She's like my immediate boss. And, um, everybody in the orchestra that I work with, um, we're all just kind of collaborating equally to make the best music we can every week. Um, In terms of how it differs within other orchestras, I mean, I, before coming to San Diego, I was just a freelancer and I played with a lot of different orchestras throughout the US really, um, basically anywhere where I had some sort of connection or had played 
for somebody in the orchestra and then they would add me on the sub list. Um, but those experiences are all relatively similar to my job here, which is, you know, you just prepare the music, come in and perform. But I guess the main difference is that right now with this more permanent position, you have to really, there's more than just playing. It's a lot more of um, working together and knowing that these are your colleagues for potentially the rest of your life. And so it's a lot different mindset going into rehearsal every day where I have to not only be prepared, but also be outgoing and friendly and approachable. And um, when I was freelancing, it's more of a, I, I felt like a head down, kind of just go in, go out. If no one notices you, that's probably a good thing. That's really interesting. So it sounds like with the full-time position, there's more of a kind of um, relationship building component with your colleagues. Yeah, I feel like it's extremely important just as much as the playing part. It's like 50-50. You need to get along with everybody um, that you're working with because they sit right next to you. Um, and like I said, you know, potentially for a very, very long time. So they want to be able to know that they are going to like you and that you're going to fit in well with the group. Um, yeah. And do you feel like that impacts um, kind of how you make music together? Yeah, I think there are very slight differences between orchestras and how they work together. Um, the orchestra here is a very open community. Um, everyone is extremely um, welcoming and you kind of know your place and you know how you're doing at all times. Um, and I feel that that's extremely important just so that you can feel comfortable. I mean, I'm here, but I've never lived on the West Coast before and it's all new and it can feel very overwhelming a lot of the times, but everyone here has made me feel like like a part of the family immediately. And I think that has allowed me then to really try to express the kind of music that, you know, I'm here to play. Can you um, tell a little more about kind of what a day in the life looks like for you kind of preparing the music and getting ready for rehearsal? Like what, what does your day look like? Mm -hmm. What does your week look like? Just for somebody who is not in that job and kind of creating a picture of that. Um, it's a lot of juggling of managing your time with all of the music and repertoire that I'm given, because there are many weeks where you're just performing back to back different concerts. And so usually I get, you get the music like maybe a month in advance and I'm practicing the music, you know, three weeks out instead of um, the music that I'm um playing that week that music should already be prepared um mm -hmm. so so you're kind of looking ahead to make sure that you're ready in advance for every cycle yeah I think it's really easy to get caught up with the amount of music you have to learn and so that's why you have to just be really organized in terms of time management to make sure that you're not going to like be cramming um score studying the night before <laughs> so I mean a typical day for a rehearsal a rehearsal if there's a double, it's usually like 10 to 1230 and then like 140 
five to three forty-five, and that's doesn't sound like a very long day for I know like a lot of other jobs, but to like be playing that much in one day is pretty exhausting. And so on a day that I have a double, then usually you want to rest after because otherwise you could just easily burn out. Um, yeah, I could see there that could be pretty intense. Yeah, but in terms of practicing, you just you need, you need to be on top of things. Um, it's a lot different than being at school when you have, you know, a million rehearsals for a concert and you're only performing concerts like, you know, two or three times a semester. So there's a lot more time to, well, A, do other things and also just kind of let the music really soak in. While as here, it's been the m- most major change is kind of like, okay, you played this concert next week, you have to like completely forget about what you just did and move on immediately. And that is, that's, that's tough because this, in terms of like being in school and stuff, there's no way for you to really prepare for that because the way that school is, you know, the system is you rehearse a lot of orchestra rep, um, but it's over a much longer period of time. Yeah, that makes sense. Um, Kind of along that line, looking back, what do you feel has helped you best prepare for, I guess, two parts, auditioning for orchestras like this, and then being in the role itself? Well, first of all, lessons. I mean, my lessons were the most important thing, um, being in school. But, you know, the lesson is only one hour out of your entire week. So a lot of it, you had to, you know, be self-motivated and kind of be your own teacher for most of it. And then I think in terms of the class that I got the most out of was probably conductor's orchestra. Um, I'm not sure if they still do that. Hopefully they do. Yeah, I'm pretty sure they do have it still. (laughs) Um, Yeah, that was extremely helpful because you do... Um, read through a lot of music with all of the conducting students. And so that just gets a lot of the repertoire under your belt. Um, Even if you haven't like performed it, at least you've read through it with an orchestra, which is like invaluable. Um, What about the audition process? Well, for auditioning, I mean, it wasn't exactly... There was no straight line. I mean, everyone's everyone's way of preparing for auditions are so different. And I feel like that's something that I was just learning as I was going throughout school. Um, I started taking auditions in 2016, which was, I guess, in my first year of master's. And throughout the years up until now, I mean, I guess COVID was took a little pause in that, but I took like over 20 auditions and each time you learn different things um, about your preparation and about the excerpts you're doing and your mindset, like how you're supposed to go into the audition day and how you're supposed to go into your daily practice. Everything like is always changing because if it's not always changing, something, something does need to change unless you're winning. Mm -hmm. Um, And so I think the process for that is kind of a lot of trial and error. Um, There's, 
maybe certain teachers have their own ways of telling their student um, their way of how they were successful or um, that kind of thing. But I think it's kind of up to you to take whatever knowledge like your teacher um, in school has and kind of pick and choose which ones would be best for you because it's everyone is going to have a different path for that. Was there anything in particular that you just as like an example for others that you noticed for yourself that helped you to kind of go from maybe less successful in auditions to more successful? Obviously, you were successful in the end, which is awesome. Oh, yeah. I mean, the biggest thing was my mental state, actually. Um, It's funny because the pandemic actually, I think, had a good impact on my mental state because before when I was like, in school and then fresh out of school, I was so panicked about getting a job. And I had put so much pressure on myself for that. And I think that actually was extreme downfall for my mental side, because I was just not practicing well. And I was just constantly thinking about the next thing, the next thing, instead of trying to like, enjoy the process that I'm in. Um, Mm -hmm. And I think that's that was extremely important to think thinking about the process rather than the outcome. Um, yeah, I think the pandemic let me really like calm down and then focus more on the actual music that I was making and realizing that it's okay if like my journey to getting an orchestra job took a little longer than I had hoped or you know whatever that every step of the way I was learning something different and changing the way I was approaching things. And just, it was, I don't know. I think it was a, a learning process that took like a whole change in my mental state from being so negative and comparing myself and just like wanting to win, win, win. And instead I realized that I needed to, just um, have have a little bit more fun. That's a, that's really amazing um, to share that, like to see that, like that contrast before and after the pandemic, especially how you framed it. And I really appreciate your sharing that. Yeah. Because I think it's something that like we focus a lot on how well we're playing the music and how much are we practicing and what are the technical things we do to prepare for an audition. And there's not always as much conversation about like, what is your mindset about this whole process, like from a, from a bigger perspective. So I really appreciate that. Thank you. Yeah. And I actually, I mean, I think in school though, the one thing that I did miss a lot when it came to taking auditions was the competitiveness of it. Cause you do need to have a little bit of competitive in you. Oh yeah, like, absolutely. You can't make it unless like you do want to um win, I guess. But <laughs> I mean, they're not the only qualities that you need is what I was learning. So mm-hmm. it was a struggle in the beginning to like be motivated enough to practice and like um just kind of out of school you don't always it's a lot harder to know like where you stand in the like tier of your peers that are coming to these auditions because you're a little bit less, you just have a little bit less resources from them when you're in school. Um, Mm -hmm. 
but yeah, I mean, I just think it's a little bit of a blurry line, like where the competitiveness starts to become unhealthy. Um, then you just need to kind of learn where your breaking point is and, you know, still be competitive, but maybe for yourself instead. Mm-hmm. Like finding the right balance with that. Yeah. And I can see where there'd be definitely a lot of gray area and probably varies by person too. Yeah, exactly. Um, that's it. Well, what you were talking about just now is a good segue into my next question, which is um, what surprises you most about life after graduation? Kind of going back to where you were in 2018, coming out of Peabody, what was the thing that was the most surprising to you? I think the lack of um, the lack of having deadlines. <laughs> Actually, <laughs> that's a big change. Yeah, <laughs> you know, suddenly you don't have to like be preparing for your recital. You don't have to be preparing for your lessons. You don't have your chamber music weekly rehearsals or your essays you have to write. Like you can do whatever you want. And I think that really shocked me <laughs> at first. Like I didn't know how to manage my time very well. Um, I felt like I was wasting a lot of the day, just kind of like twiddling my thumbs or just like, who knows what I was doing. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> but that was like, that was like the biggest change for me. I think just being able to manage your time by yourself and just kind of kind of figuring out just what is next because a lot of when you're in school, you're just, you constantly have these deadlines, like I said, and now all of a sudden you get to choose your own daily schedule and it's scary. Yeah. I, I remember having a similar experience. Um, graduating and it's like oh oh wow okay I don't have to be here at this time I don't have to do this thing at this yeah. time I don't have an essay to write I don't have a piece to prepare for my teacher it's, and then you get out of school and you're like well now I get to decide yeah this is weird <laughs> and the community too I mean I it's the it's hard to kind of keep in touch with people when you're not constantly seeing them, even though I did live in Baltimore for a year after graduating, you have to like kind of put yourself out there to, you know, see people, I guess, and just like make music with people. It's a lot harder because you're just, yeah, you're not around them all the time. Yeah. And I'm actually glad you brought that up because you said earlier something about when you were first subbing with orchestras that you were able to do that because you made connections with certain people or you had connections to certain orchestras. And I'm wondering if you can talk more about kind of the community aspect of either how that enabled you to access those opportunities and get experience playing or how that has played out for you since graduation. Have you, have you been in touch with people? Have this, has it impacted kind of where you've gone? How has that worked for you? Yeah, honestly, the connections for me were everything um, getting me to where I am. I, of course, so many connections from Peabody, but also um, I went to Aspen for four summers and a lot of my friends there won very large orchestra jobs and um, they were really good friends of mine. So kind of for for some of the freelance opportunities I had kind of fell in my lap because of that but also in terms of having 
just, I don't know, being an, being nice to everybody, saying yes to everything. It's like so important to always be putting yourself out there and just being open to do whatever. Um, at Peabody, you know, I was um, playing in all the composition recitals and like anyone who asked me to play in their recital, I would try to fit that into and just like trying to make your scope like really wide. I think was important instead of only focusing on like practicing for your lessons or your recital to make sure you're always collaborating with everybody around you um, um, was super important in terms of kind of building the relationships you need to then in the future work with them professionally because just, you know, you never know where anyone is going to land. So it's always, <laughs> always good to have a lots of um, different options. How do you approach that now that you're out of school? And you, I mean, of course, you're seeing your colleagues in the San Diego Symphony every day. But um, how do you approach keeping touch with the people that aren't in your immediate kind of performance circle now? It's hard. It's hard. I mean, I, I try to, you know, just text and call is mainly how you keep in touch these days because I mean my friends don't live here most of them are on the east coast and so it's it's harder to keep in touch for sure but um you know I just always want to be supportive no matter where I am and so you know if someone is maybe having a concert that's being recorded or something you know then you would ask to listen to it so that you can still be a part of whatever um that they're doing, but, you know, it's impossible to be everywhere at once. And most people don't live, most people that I met in Baltimore don't live there anymore. So, um, yeah, but it's also like really, it's really cool to see where everyone is going and all the directions that they're going. And I think um, um, just keeping in touch however way you can is important because, you only have friends from school, you know, once. <laughs> That's true. And and maybe like a little bit goes a long way sometimes. Like it's doesn't necessarily, at least I don't know, in my experience, it doesn't necessarily always have to be time consuming to show that you care or to show that you're supporting someone. Yes, exactly. So it's clear that working toward an orchestra job has been a long-term goal of yours. And I would love to know, is this something that was always your goal throughout school? Is that something that evolved over time? And now that you're in this position, are, are your goals, what are they looking like now? Are they continuing to evolve? Are you? Do you feel like you've reached kind of where you want to be? Tell me more about how that has looked for you in, over the past, say, five, six years. Um, well, I guess going back way before that, I mean, to answer your first question about has orchestra always been the dream, it has not, actually. I think when I was an undergrad, I went to Boston University and I went there because I wasn't sure about music and I wanted to make sure that in case I decided I didn't like majoring in it, that I could uh, switch to another major. <laughs> um and it really wasn't, I guess, until maybe the last couple of years of undergrad that I realized that maybe I could make this work. And it was my teacher in undergrad, Linda Toot, who told me that Peabody even had a piccolo master's program. Um, 
And she pushed me to apply to this because I I hadn't heard that you could major in piccolo. Why would I know that? <laughs> yeah. Um, and so it was around, yeah, junior, senior year of college that I was like, okay, I guess um, people take auditions to to be in an orchestra. Like I had no idea how you were supposed to get into an orchestra back then. So, I mean, no one told me. It's not like someone has a whole like spreadsheet of how you're supposed to win a job. So, um, yeah, it was eye-opening to, to, you know, see that it could, that you could be in an orchestra and like make a career out of it. Um, I always thought, you know, when I was in Boston and hearing the Boston Symphony that they were like such like an untouchable group, like, like how would anybody ever get to that level kind of thing? Um, and then let's see, going, getting into Peabody and studying with my teacher, Lori Sokoloff. And I mean, she gave just the most like her mentorship and this, the experience that she has had, like really kind of made it real for me that yes, this is like something that is in the, in the realm of possibility for me. And so that was kind of the point when I started taking auditions and just seeing how the whole process worked um, because it's, yes, I can describe how an audition works, but it's not going to, the feeling of it is kind of most what is, is the most important um, because for some people it comes really easy to audition and some people get extremely nervous. So you just don't know until you actually take one. And I think I had my eyes set on having an orchestra job like when I was here because being in the program that I was in was um, kind of tunnel vision into just orchestra. (laughs) Um, (laughs) So, yeah, but I don't think like, you know, over the pandemic, I I had a ton of other different non-music jobs. Um, I was nannying working in retail I had a catering business I was like working in admin like there were so many other things that I realized that you could do as well and implementing any kind of skills that I had learned um that were from my degree of music like I didn't realize that you can apply a lot of the other skills you have like organization, determination, resilience, all of those things Mm. are extremely helpful for like whatever career that you want to go forth in. And I don't think that anyone needs, even if you're, if you're at Peabody and you're, you have this major that you're in some um, playing this instrument and you're not sure what you want to do with it afterwards. A lot of the times it's not taking the orchestral career. And I think there are so many other um, paths that are open to music majors that is that are great options too. So it's it's definitely like not at all anything bad if you decide that music is not the path that you want to take. It just happened to be mine, but that's just literally one story. Thank you, Lily. And uh, um, that's, a, I think, a great note to wrap up on. And um, I really appreciate your time today. Thank you so much. And congratulations on winning your dream job. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. Thank you. It was fun to talk.
To close the episode, please enjoy Lily's performance of the third movement of Mike Mower's Sonata for Piccolo and Piano. Thank you for listening. Thank you.